1266, entered the Benedictine order at Helfta and became a nun. She excelled in her studies, becoming fluent in Latin and well-versed in scripture and theology. At the age of 25, at the age that I am now, I'm a little behind in comparison to St. Gertrude, she experienced life-altering visions that continued all the way until her death. The visions shifted her focus from secular things to an intense study of scripture and theology. The St. Gertrude practiced what is known as a nuptial mysticism, viewing herself as the bride of Christ. This spiritual approach deepened her commitment to charity for both the rich people and the poor. I think people often forget that charity toward the rich is also necessary. Gertrude reported a vision resting her head near the wounds of Christ, and she heard the beating of his heart. St. John revealed that this revelation was reserved for a time when the world needed to rekindle its love in Sinu Yesu, on the breast of Christ. A very beautiful meditation. Gertrude passed away at Helfta in her feast day, celebrated on November 16th. Her spiritual work, particularly the Herald of Divine Love, influenced many in the 17th century, countering the heresy of Jansenism at the time. Her surviving works, including Herald Divine Love and a compilation of the spiritual exercises and the preaches of Gertrude, her, which are her spiritual uh, exercises, became incredibly relevant and was the catalyst for calling her Gertrude the Great. She was an, a notable early devotee of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and Gertrude's vivid description of the in her book, which is, as we mentioned twice already, the Herald, contributed significantly to the veneration of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Now, she was canonized um, by Benedict the Fourteenth. Well, it's actually a little strange. Her being a... Di- she was titled St. Gertrude the Great by Benedict the Fifteenth in 1606. However, she was solemnly recognized as a saint long before that. In fact... It wasn't until later when they finally approved liturgical honors for her, even though they had been recognizing her as a saint in public for a very long time. She's also the patroness of the West Indies because she has invoked for the souls in purgatory there and everywhere. And she expressed particular sympathy toward the people in the West Indies and prayed for their relief. Now, what can we learn from from St. Gertrude's life? We can show her, see her as someone who exemplifies deep spirituality, commitment to truth, and most importantly, devotion to the Sacred Heart. So what do we ask for from St. Gertrude on this, her feast day? Let's ask her for an ever-increasing devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, that we may make acts of reparation like St. Gertrude did for reparation against sins and outrages against the most Sacred Heart of Jesus, and that we have a ever-growing devotion and spirituality and commitment to the Catholic truth. St. Gertrude the Great, pray hey, for us. us. Joining us right now is Rudy Carlos. Good morning to you, Rudy. Good morning, Adrian. Wow. Hoo-wee. How many offenses are caused against our Lord every single day? I mean, even in the, the, the conversations we overhear, we hear blasphemies against the holy name of Jesus. Today's a perfect day, perfect day to make reparations. How do you make reparations? Simple. I gave you the example of blasphemies. You hear blasphemy, all you have to do is pick up that holy name of Jesus and bring it back up to its its standard, its 
its level of glory, the name above all names. You can say something as simple as, glory be the holy name of Jesus, or holy be the holy, the, holy be the name of Jesus, or something like that, some sort of pious ejaculation. I invite yeah. you to do that today. When someone uses a blasphemy today, like, even if it's something like, oh my God, or something like that, or they stub their toe and they yell out the name of Christ, I dare you. I dare you to say, praise be his holy name. I dare you to do it. Today, every time you hear blasphemy, just shout out, praise be his holy name. And see see what reactions you get. And let me know. Let me know. I'm very curious. And the curious to see how what the reactions are i'm betting it won't be as negative as you think spoiler alert it works i've done it a couple times i i think a lot most most americans yeah most americans are christians most americans are 10 commandment americans Mm -hmm. and if and they kind of just use these phrases without malice they just kind of just drop it it's become a habit so if you say praise be his holy name, I bet they will get the point and I bet that it won't be as bad as you think it'll be. So let's try that today. Every time you hear a blasphemy today, say praise be his holy name. I dare you to do it. Now, coming up in this hour, Candace Owens versus Ben Shapiro Smackdown. It is uh, pretty amusing. Yesterday I saw this, this uh, debacle and I was really surprised by it. So we're going to talk about that at 15 past the hour. It's very interesting. Plus, YouTube versus AI. Is that happening? It's very interesting. We'll talk about that coming up at 15 past the hour. At 30 past the hour, Ralph Martin with Renewal Ministries will be joining us talking about a church in crisis. And we're going to talk about that coming up at 30 past the hour. In the next hour, Alan Smith with Bishop Sheen. Today, we are continuing our conversation about the priest is not his own, becoming the father God has called you to be. It'll be a very good conversation, so stay with us for that as well. Uh, Now, let's begin with prayer. We're going to be praying for your intentions, whatever it is you have going on in your life. We're praying for that, for the salvation of souls, liberty, and exaltation of Holy Mother Church, for our friends, family, benefactors, and all those that we promise to pray for. And for a particular way for my grandfather. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. May they rest in peace. O Lord, who art ever merciful and bounteous with thy gifts, look down upon the suffering souls in purgatory. Remember not their offenses and negligences, but be mindful of thy loving mercy, which is from all eternity. Cleanse them of their sins and fulfill their ardent desires that they may be made worthy to behold thee face to face in thy glory. May they soon be united with thee and hear those blessed words, which shall call them to their heavenly home. Come, blessed of my Father, take possession of the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Eternal Father, I offer thee the most precious blood of thy divine Son, Jesus, in union with the masses said throughout the world today. For all the holy souls in purgatory, for sinners everywhere, for sinners in the universal church, those in my own home and within my family. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. And now your headline news with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. You're listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And here are a few of your headlines this morning. U.S. bishops affirm abortion is still the preeminent priority for Catholic voters. Thanks be to God. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops voted 225 to 11 to approve an introductory note to affirm that opposing abortion must remain the preeminent priority of Catholics in American elections. 
While the text of the note has not yet been officially released, it reads, quote, The threat of abortion remains our preeminent priority because it directly attacks our most vulnerable and voiceless brothers and sisters and destroys more than a million lives per year in our country alone, unquote. And the U.S. support for Israel is declining amid out ongoing war in Gaza, according to a survey. Majority of Americans now back a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war, though the Biden administration has strongly spoken against such a move, according to a Reuters-slash-Ipsos poll published yesterday. Many now believe that the U.S. should instead be a neutral mediator in the conflict instead of taking a side. Poll respondents showed less support for Israel than at the start of the conflict, showing changing opinions as the war reaches its sixth week. About 32% of respondents said the U.S. should support Israel. That's down 41% or from it's down from 41% in mid-October, days after the start of the war. And finally, here's a really interesting news article, and uh, maybe it applies to you. The Vatican Doctrine Office reaffirms that Catholics cannot be Freemasons. The new document signed by Pope Francis was written in response to a bishop from the Philippines who had expressed concern at the growing number of Catholics in his diocese who are now taking part in Freemasonry and asked for suggestions on how to respond pastorally. The dicastery's response called for a coordinated strategy involving all of the bishops in the Philippines to promote catechesis in all parishes regarding the reasons for the irreconcilability between the Catholic Church and Freemasonry. The Freemasons are the largest worldwide oath-bound secret society. Freemasonry promotes ideas and rituals that are incompatible with the Catholic faith, including indifferentism, or the position that a person can be equally pleasing to God while remaining in any religion, a deistic concept of, quote, the great architect of the universe, unquote. The Vatican document reaffirms that those who are formally and knowingly enrolled in Masonic lodges and have embraced Masonic principles fall under the provisions of the Catholic Church's 1983 document, Declaration on Masonic Associations. The 1983 declaration declares that Catholics who enroll in Masonic associations are in a state of grave sin and may not receive Holy Communion. Those are some of your headlines today, but may God bless all of your efforts. Thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up to date. The gospel today comes from Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 25. Let's start with verse 24, a very interesting verse. For as the lightning that lighteth from under heaven, shineth unto the parts that are under heaven, so shall the Son of Man be in his day. Now, many people are talking about the coming of the Antichrist and the second coming of Jesus Christ coming in our day. And people are like, okay, well, how do we know? How can we see whether or not Christ is coming again. Well, in verse 24, Cornelius Lapide commenting on this says, The Syriac has, as the lightning shines from heaven, enlightens all things under heaven. Now, he comments on this, As the lightning most suddenly, swiftly, and openly descends from heaven and shines out, so shall I suddenly and unexpectedly return to judgment. There will be no need of watching for me or sign or mark, for I shall appear conspicuous and glorious to all in the whole earth. This and the following we have read in Matthew 24, 27 and following where I've explained it further. So if we'll check out that whenever that passage comes up in the future, uh, but a couple things about what he said here. There will be no need 
to just keep watching the skies to try to look for signs and a mark because it'll be so obvious when our Lord comes that you will not be confused. It'll be very, very obvious. He will come the way he left, uh, descending from heaven. And according to many of the spiritual writers, he will be preceded with a with the heavenly host, the angels processing all of the instruments of the crucifixion. He, they will come in glory as, as he did at the transfiguration. You will not be confused. Now, Cornelius Lapide commenting on verse 20, verse 20 says, And being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Now, what is he saying here? He says, The kingdom cometh with not with observation. Cometh, that is, will come. It is a Hebrewism in which the present is put for the future. Observe that Christ said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. This, the Pharisees, therefore, either from a desire of knowing or to mock our Lord, said, Thou, Jesus, preacheth thy kingdom in heaven, but when will it come? When shall we see thee reigning in it? When shall we see Israel, who is now subjugated by the Romans, breathe again through thy means and recover her liberty and live happily under thee as her kin? They asked him when he would reign, as to deride him for appearing to have a low state. Now, it's important to know, how does our Lord respond? Our Lord recognizes that the kingdom of God is not a royal throne in Jerusalem. Instead, it is the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of heaven, that his body is the third temple. There need not be built a new temple, for his body is a temple that was destroyed and in three days rebuilt. And that is the kingdom of heaven. We'll be right back, right after this. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed that the world associates fanaticism with religion? But G.K. Chesterton says that the strangest fanaticism that fills our time is the fanatical hatred of morality, especially of Christian morality. It is the irreligious who are fanatical in their hatred of religion, They hate religion because religion is the only basis for morality. They hate morality because it is clear. And they prefer things to be vague. Vague to the point where they can call wrongs rights. But we cannot call something a right when it defies God's laws. We can only call it a sin because all rights come from God. And God is not going to break his own laws. Neither should we. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray for religious vocations. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed daily for vocations to the religious life? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Praise be to God. It's good to be with you. Now, there were a couple stories that we came out last night. It was wild. I was going out for a run, and all of a sudden, I saw 
Ben Shapiro coming after Candace Owens pretty hard. And I was like, whoa, what is going on here? And it's kind of funny because it doesn't really give any context. And I saw this video come out a couple of days ago and I was like, whatever, it's not a big deal. And the video was of Ben Shapiro basically saying it was disgraceful what Candace Owens has been saying. And I'm like, what did Candace Owens say that's so disgraceful? And he's upset because Candace Owens is not supporting Israel in the to the degree that he wants her to. And I say that because people are accusing her of being anti-Semitic, and I think it's just kind of crazy to accuse her of anti-Semitism. So I'll read from you this article that's the Daily Beast reporting on the situation. Candace Owens spills the beans on her beef with Ben Shapiro. Uh, it's a little inflammatory, the title, but the actual content is uh, is actually just reporting what happened. This is right-wing commentator Candace Owens responded Wednesday to the Daily Wire editor-in-chief Ben Shapiro. Now, right there, a uh, quick correction for the Daily Beast. He is not the editor-in-chief anymore. He's the editor-in-chief emeritus. He actually passed that on to someone else. I don't think he's the active CEO either. He passed that on as well to someone else. So... Actually speaking, even though he's still the owner of the company, a partial owner of the company, he's not actually the direct boss of Candace Owens. I think it's a misconception people are having. They're like, "Oh, Ben Shapiro, the boss, is coming after Candace Owens." In a sense, because she's the own, he's the owner, partial owner. Um, in one way, yes, but he's not actually in charge of her. It goes on. It says uh, Ben Shapiro's sharp criticism over her comments regarding the Israel-Hamas war. Telling Tucker Carlson in an interview that though she would not be making ad hominem attacks, her fellow right-wing commentator should be embarrassed over his handling of the situation. Shapiro's criticism of Owens seemed to stem from a November 3rd tweet of hers, which she wrote, No government anywhere has a right to commit a genocide. She added, There is no justification for a genocide. I can't believe this even needs to be said or is even considered the least bit controversial to state. Owen stood by her two tweets that afternoon after conservative commentator Dave Rubin questioned her on it, though she notably never mentioned Israel or Palestine. Yeah, so in those tweets, so I looked them up, and sure enough, on November 3rd, which, you know, considering when it was, you can probably imagine what she's talking about. She says, if a blanket statement that genocide is wrong upsets you in any way, then you need to check yourself. I said exactly what I meant, and I won't be backing down or apologizing or further clarifying this statement. And Dave Rubin responded, well, as I'm sure you know, Candace, the Palestinian population is 5x in a few years, but thank you for taking a strong stance against Hamas' stated genocide of the Jews, which is in their charter. So I think, I mean, clearly we don't know who she's talking about. She could be saying that Hamas is attempting to genocide Israel, and that's what she's coming out in support of. And I think that's a reasonable expectation that that's what she's talking about. And like she said, she did not endorse Hamas. That's not something she ever did. So I think it's important to keep in mind. Now, Shapiro was later filmed on an unspecified date talking to a group of people about Owens' comment. She said, he said, which also is a little bit disingenuous because we don't have the full context of what question Ben Shapiro was asked. All we get is his answer. Now, his answer was, I think her behavior during this has been disgraceful, without a doubt, he said. 
I think that her faux sophistication on these particular issues has been ridiculous. When asked by Carlson to respond, she bit her tongue, although she did say Shapiro has not reached out to her personally to discuss the disagreement despite their shared employer. She said, quote, I can't respond to it beyond what he's saying because it's just ad hominem attacks. And Carlson also took issue with Shapiro saying, saying, yeah, because it's not. We disagree or I don't think she's correct or maybe she doesn't know what she's talking about. The former Fox News host said it's absolutely disgraceful. So. Those are the things that it's uh, that was started off the conversation. As she pointed out, that she doesn't really want to comment on it because if she was in his shoes, she would be embarrassed that someone filmed her talking that way, and she doesn't have the full context of what he's responding to. So he's, she said she's not going to respond to what he said. She said that they've, her and Ben Shapiro have not seen eye to eye on many topics. For instance, the situation of the COVID vaccine was one. Um, she listed a couple other things as well. And she emphasized the point that she thinks that there can be civil disagreement amongst colleagues and it wasn't going to be a big deal. Now, this interview was filmed and shot earlier and Candace Owens posted on Twitter a controversial post that made Ben Shapiro get very upset, telling her that she should resign, which I was everybody was very shocked by that. They weren't expecting that to go that far. For him to come out and tell her to resign. It was kind of surprising to be honest. That he would come out and say that. In fact let me see if I can pull up. His exact words he said. If you feel that taking money. From the Daily Wire somehow. uh, Comes between you and God. By all means quit. And. You're thinking okay well she must have said something like. The Daily Wire is bad. The Daily Wire is evil or something like that right. That's not what Candace Owens said. Instead, he's responding to her quoting this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, shall say all manners of evil against you falsely for my sake. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Christ is king. So that's what she said. And that was Ben Shapiro's response to what she said. And they're saying, oh, but that's a dog whistle. He's actually, she's actually being anti-Semitic. And I'm like, okay, that's crazy. That's crazy to say that. And she responded a couple minutes later saying that Ben Shapiro was acting unprofessionally and is emotionally unhinged for weeks. Now, I understand Ben Shapiro's very upset because he has family in Israel. He was just in Israel. Literally, I think he arrived in the U.S. the day before the Hamas invasion. And so I get it. I get him being emotional. But it seems that he's going too far. And Candace said, and we all have to sit back and allow it and have all tried to exercise exceeding understanding for your raw emotions. But you cross a certain line when you come for scripture and read yourself into it. I will not tolerate it. Yeah, it seems that he's going a little too far and reading into it things that are not the case. I think Candace is being honestly, I think people are, because are, there's a lot of people like the Groypers, the fans of, um, what's that guy's name? Nick uh, Fuentes. Nick Fuentes. The Nick Fuentes fans are coming to Candace's defense. And I honestly don't think Candace is on the Groypers side. I think she's literally just making statements because she was, she had made a comment with, um, 
Tucker Carlson where she was saying, yeah, I got upset at first, but then reading scripture calms me down. It makes me realize, okay, before I react and overreact, let me read some scripture and it calms me down. And so she did that. And then I guess that's what she read. She posted it. And then people read into it what they wanted to read into it. I that that's think the most charitable interpretation of what happened. And it seems to be consistent with what's happening. Now, people are bringing up and I found this uh, article by Shmo, uh, Rabbi Shmolier Botek. I'm probably butchering his name, but he's known as, quote, America's rabbi, whom the Washington, Washington Post called the most famous rabbi in America. Uh, the author of Holocaust Holiday, One Family's Descent into Genocide Memory Hell. So that's uh, who wrote this. And he was saying, quote, if I were truly unkind, I would add that in December 2018, Owens famously said, if Hitler just wanted to make Germany great and have things run well, okay, fine. But I have no wish to be unfair. And I believe strongly the quote was taken out of context and that Owens was simply defending nationalism as opposed to defending anti-Semitism, albeit in a supremely ignorant way. What my great friend Prager should be saying to Owens defending the unforgivable is, Candace, that friend is not your friend. Your friends are the Jewish people who have always stood by you, not those who seek the other people's destruction or our people's destruction, end quote. Uh, that is the most disingenuous thing to say ever. He said, if I were to be unkind, I would say, and then he proceeds to say it. And he goes, but I'm not going to say that. It's an article, man. Like if it was a live interview and he was like, oh, well, I was going to say X, but you know, I didn't, I probably shouldn't say that. Okay. I get it. You're, you're speaking live and you, you're just saying what pops in your head. Right. But it's an article. He wrote an article and he was like, if I was unkind, I would say, and he's like, but you know, that's taking it out of context. And so I want to give you the context because people were were bringing this up to me saying that she supports Hitler. And I'm like, there's no way Candace Owens came out in support of Hitler. And sure enough, let me play for you the entire clip of what Candace Owens said. As I said, he is assuming that black people will not go pursue the full two hour clip. And he purposefully extracted, he cut off and you didn't hear the question that was asked of me. He's trying to present as if I was launching a defense of Hitler in Germany when in fact the question that was asked of me was pertaining to whether or not I believed that Hitler was a, whether or not I believed in nationalism and that nationalism was bad. And what I responded to was that I do not believe that we should be characterizing Hitler as a nationalist. He was a homicidal, psychopathic maniac that killed his own people. A nationalist would not kill their own people. That is exactly what I was referring to in the clip, and he purposely wanted to give you a cut-up similar to what they do to Donald Trump to create a different narrative. That was unbelievably dishonest, and he did not allow me to respond to it, which is worrisome and should tell you a lot about where people are today in terms of trying to drum up narratives. By the way, I would like to also add that I work for Prager University, which is run by an Orthodox Jew, and a single Democrat showed up to the embassy opening in Jerusalem. I sat on a plane for 18 hours to make sure that I was there. I'm deeply offended by the insinuation of, of revealing that clip without the question that was asked of me. So there's the full, her response to it at a congressional hearing where she was accused of anti-Semitism. And I think it's very clear that Candace Owens is not an anti-Semite by any stretch of the imagination. And this was back in, in 20, I want to say this is 2018 when this happened, 2019. And so then she goes from working for Prager University, who's owned by Dennis Prager, a very famous Jew, to working for the Daily Wire, who's owned partially by a very famous Jew. So I think it's crazy to think that she's anti she's an anti-Semite. It's just not true. And I actually disagree with her on her position on nationalism. 
Um, I think nationalism is bad, uh, but not as bad as people make it out to be. But I think it's still bad. I think the idea it's very anti-Catholic. It's a very anti-Catholic position because I like to use the example of King Louis the Ninth. King Louis the Ninth wanted to take his army to go and defend the Christians in Africa. And many of his men in France were saying, Your Excellency, I can't, we can't go across the water. You want us to go and fight for another person's country? And he said, This is the wrong attitude. We must defend all of Christendom. We must defend our Christian brothers who are being attacked and killed by the Muslim people. And this is anti nationalism. The nationalist position would be just take care of yourself. But I get what she's saying. She's saying, look, I support Christian nationalism, and Christian nationalism is not what Hitler was doing. That's what she was trying to say. Uh, I disagree with it, but I think that is a perfectly reasonable and not an anti-Semitic statement. We'll be right back. We're going to talk with Ralph Martin, a church in crisis coming up next. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Many committed Christians hold to this axiom. If it's in the Bible, I believe it, and that settles it. Well, here you go. 1 Timothy 2 states the following about women as related to church life. No braiding the hair, no gold jewelry, no pearls. Just learn in silence and do not teach. Does your pastor comply with these biblical instructions? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, an unpleasant fact. Many self-proclaimed Bible-only churches, sadly, will pick and choose what parts of the Bible are implemented in the life of the church. Secondly, Catholic catechism. Be especially attentive to, quote, the content and unity of the whole scripture. And thirdly, a tough comeback. In order to understand the sacred author's intention, we must take into account culture, audience, and the literary genre. So if your Bible-only church does not strictly obey those instructions, then tell me the reason why. Well, we know... You know, 80% of your church is handled by women. So with those instructions in force, many women will leave your church, maybe even the pastor's wife. Ouch. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to share your Catholic faith with one another. Wouldn't it be great if everyone eagerly shared their faith? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Rudy Carlos, and here are more breaking news and headlines for you. Meta calls for legislation to have app stores add age restrictions to protect teenagers. Facebook parent company Meta is calling on Congress to pass legislation that would make age restrictions on app stores much tighter in order to limit inappropriate content for teenagers. The company released a blog post on Wednesday backing requirements that app stores get parental permissions for users 13 to 15 to download apps. The policy is an alternative to a plan favored by many state and federal lawmakers who have individual uh, tech companies screen users to verify their ages. Of course, Kids are going to find a way to uh, circumnavigate that pretty easily. Now, on to another story. The March for Life unveils 2024 theme. The March for Life Education and Defense Fund unveiled its theme for the next March for Life. The theme emphasizes the need to care for both mothers and children, with every woman, for every child. The March for Life will take place in Washington, D.C. on January 19th, 2024. Maybe, you're, uh, maybe you can plan to be there on January 19th. In any case, those are your headlines this morning. 
And God bless all your holy efforts today. Back to you, Adrian. Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. Adrian, Adrian, Adrian. What do you think about that? The March for Life theme? Hmm. Uh, I think it's fine. Hmm. I feel like, I don't know. I Maybe I'm just being overly critical, but like <laughs> I'm like, is that really the, the thing? I mean, we just lost the uh, situation in Ohio, and like maybe the focus should be taking the fight to your home state. Mm. Because, yeah, we won Roe v. Wade, and that was kind of the thing that the March for Life was for. But then now that it's uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade, the battle becomes 50 battles, right? And there's some where we've had gained victories. We need to be vigilant in those states uh, so we don't lose ground. But then in the other states where we lost ground, I mean, that should be – I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I say yes and. I agree with your sentiment about that. And these sorts of campaigns, this, this is all marketing, of course, right? And we have, to, we have to analyze it from a marketing perspective. Who are they trying to convince? Mm. I think that they have that in their mind when they're coming up with these campaigns. For I, sure. I think at least I, I would say an organization as big as, as them, they have that at the forefront. So they're trying, I think, and I'm being really meta about this, I think they're trying to win over the hearts of those, those women that are in those states that are considering something like Ohio. They're trying to get them to understand, like, look, we're not against you. We're actually for you. You know, it's the, one of the one of the big gripes that people have is, wow, pro-lifers, they only care about the baby uh, until it's born and they don't care. So I think that's one of those those big things that that still remains in the hearts of many people. And I think they're they're marketing towards those people. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I get I understand what you're saying. And I'll leave that there for now. But I, I think. You're right, though, because that's kind of been the theme with uh, March for Life. There's been a couple of themes they've chosen, and I'm just like, eh, not a huge fan of the theme. I will still go, and I have been, but it was uh, it was always just like, eh, you know, I that's not the theme I would have chosen. But oh well, no one's asking my opinion. So, <laughs> <laughs> Joining us right now is Ralph Martin. Ralph Martin is the author of A Church in Crisis. A Pathways Forward. He's also the president of Renewal Ministries and the host of the weekly Catholic television program, The Choices We Face. He holds a doctorate in theology and is the director of the graduate program of theology in the new evangelization at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in the Archdiocese of Detroit. Uh, good morning to you, Dr. Martin. Good morning to you, Adrian. Praise be to God. It's good to have you on. Um, it's you know, it's good to have you on, despite the fact that the whole world seems to be a little bit crazy. Uh, but I, I love the fact, yeah, I love the fact that you put on your book, uh, The Church in Crisis, the burning of Notre Dame, because I think that's symbolic of how we all feel, right? Yeah, it's um, almost every day you kind of new news comes in and you kind of wonder, wow, can can anything else still happen? You know. That's what it feels like most days. That's what it feels like. Now, I was listening to an interview you recently did with Matt Frad, and I was very intrigued. I, I'll be honest, all full disclosure, I only listened to the first hour because uh, those interviews are really long. Those interviews are very long. But I listened to the first hour of it, and what caught my ear was this understanding of what's going on in the church today as kind of almost... 
you can't believe what your ears are hearing, right? Because they, some things come out and there are good things and then some things come out and they're bad things and you're left confused about what is actually happening. So tell me about this. Yeah, well, I was asked by a lot of people to comment on the synod process and I just didn't feel like doing it. You know, I just, I felt like, you know, we're really not going to know what this is all about until it's over. And then we're not even going to know what it's all about until Pope Francis published the post-synodal apostolic exhortation. This is all discussion. This is all input. And what Pope Francis is going to do with it is what really matters in the last analysis. So this is just the first part of the synod. The second part of the synod is until next October. And then after that, he writes. He needs to write a document. And there's all kinds of speculation about what what's going on what certain people are trying to make sure happens and what other people are trying to make sure it doesn't happen. And so I, I just haven't wanted to comment on it. But then recently two documents came out. One is on uh, a new paradigm shift for theology that the Pope issued on his own authority called a moto proprio. Another one was a document answering questions concerning transgender people uh, participating in the sacraments. And, and then I just I just felt like well I had to say something you know so Matt asked me uh, to talk about the synod originally I told him no I don't want to talk about the synod let's talk about something else so he said well let's talk about your book fulfillment of all desire but then when I got there I said you know I think we do need to talk about this yeah well I that was very interested because when you one thing you said and I want you to elaborate upon this was um, personnel is policy. And many people would uh, respond to that, and I, I immediately I'm in a, very much in agreement with you. But some critics would say that um, that's if we say that of Francis, we have to say that of JP two, who appointed McCarrick, and we have to say that of Benedict the Sixteenth, who had some other some questionable appointments. And so, how would you respond to to that kind of response? I'd say every pope has made some questionable appointments, either because they didn't really know who they were appointing or they got bad advice, that type of thing. So no question about it that some appointments by uh, previous popes uh, have been bad appointments. But what I see different in this situation is not just accidental appointments of people that we don't really know what they think, and later on they reveal the true colors, but what we're getting is appointments into very high positions of people who are on record of really disagreeing with certain church teachings. Like, uh, it's quite shocking in the United States when uh, Archbishop Gomez in Los Angeles, Archbishop Court alone in uh, San Francisco was passed over to be made a cardinal, and the Bishop of San Diego was made a cardinal, uh, Bishop McElroy, now Cardinal McElroy. And people knew how how incredibly liberal he was. You know, it wasn't a secret. So this was a purpose appointment honoring somebody who's on record of wanting to change the church teaching in different areas. He ended up writing a long article in America magazine saying we need to completely dismantle structures of exclusion in the church and everybody who's baptized should be able to come to the Eucharist and receive communion whether they're intending to live a chaste life or not. He says this particularly needs to apply to the LGBT community and we should stop making a distinction between people with homosexual inclination who are living a chaste life and who are not. <laughs> so you can't get more explicit than that. So then Archbishop Aquila, Archbishop of Denver and Bishop Paprocki, uh, head of the Bishop's Committee on Pastoral Practice, both came out saying 
this is really heretical. And uh, Cardinal Hollerick, who's been appointed to lead the Synod, has said very similar things. And so what we have is people who are intentionally being appointed to appointments because of their views rather than accidental appointments where we didn't really know what they thought. Right. That makes sense. It would be like if um, JP2 appointed McCarrick as the um, the head of the CDF versus uh, choosing Cardinal Ratzinger, right? That would be kind of more of a right. of a comparison of what would be a comparable mistake or bad appointment. Um, before we go to a break, we're going to go to a break in about one minute. The one thing that I was thinking about was that whenever we start seeing these things, uh, people get upset with me sometimes for not quoting the good things that Pope Francis says. And the reason why I give for that is usually because they I, people can quote him saying good things and say, quote him saying bad things. So I'm just like, let me just stay out of it. What did say you about that? Yeah, well, unfortunately, uh, you can't stay out of stuff that the Pope is saying. I mean, he's saying it to the world and he's saying it insistently. And there's no question about it. He says a lot of good things. But then he says some things that are, you know, quite disturbing, like at the very beginning of the Synod. He seemed to indicate that it should be left up to uh, particular pastors whether to bless same-sex unions or not, you know, and that was sort of like a big surprise. You know, Archbishop Fernandez said something similar. Uh, German bishops are doing it without correction. So in a lot of ways, I... I'm going to have to hold you off right there, Dr. Martin. We're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, we'll finish that thought and much more on Catholic Drive Time. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed that most people think that rules apply to others but not to themselves? They always consider themselves to be the exception. But what ends up happening is that everybody is an exception, and so the rules don't apply to anybody. The result is something worse than chaos. It's a loss of all the categories of respect and justice. G.K. Chesterton says that When the exception has become the rule, that is the worst of all possible tyrannies. When the Cardinal, formerly known as Ratzinger, gave his final homily before the papal conclave, he said, We are living under the tyranny of relativism. What is relativism? It's when there are no rules, only exceptions. The man about to become Pope was echoing Chesterton exactly. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to do some Bible reading. Wouldn't it be great if everyone read the Bible regularly? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. Uh, Joining us right now, we're talking with Ralph Martin. Ralph Martin, he is with RenewalMinistries.net. You can check it out, RenewalMinistries.net, the president of Renewal Ministries. But also, very importantly, he is the author of A Church in Crisis. I can't, for some reason, I can't say the word crisis. A Church in Crisis, Pathways Forward. There we go. I can speak. Um, thank you for joining us, Dr. Martin. You're welcome. Now, Dr. Martin, the 
before we went to a break, we were chatting about, you know, some of the things that Francis says that are, you know, he says things that are good. He says things that are bad. And like, for example, I'll give a great example. Right now we had a dozen dubia. I'm exaggerating, obviously, a dozen dubia uh, answered in the past couple weeks. And recently, yesterday, it was reported that the Vatican confirms Catholics cannot be Freemasons. And the entire world is exploding. They're saying, ha ha, there you go, trads. And um, how dare you guys? Y'all guys are, can't spend this. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't think trads want to dunk on the Pope. I don't think that's a very charitable way to look at uh, traditional Catholics, that they're not trying to look for mm-hmm. the worst thing mm-hmm. ever. Uh, but what say you about these uh-huh. uh, recent um, dubias that have been answered in people's reactions to them? Yeah, well, not joining the Masons has been a traditional position of the Church. It's good to see it reaffirmed, absolutely. But then the dubia that came out about transgender people being godparents and witnesses and things like that, um, it can be understood in an orthodox way. And John Birch wrote an excellent column on it in National Catholic Register saying that if you really interpret properly what's being said there, is that transgender people need to repent for having tried to change their sex, and that would be the conditions for them to really participate in the sacraments. But the document doesn't say that. It says according to the normal conditions and things like that. So the document, as it's written, is going to give people the impression that transgender people can uh, be be, uh, godparents. And, of course, it's a contradiction because in 2015, the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith came out with a document saying, no, transgender people can't be godparents because, look, they're publicly witnessing to a repudiation of a Catholic teaching about male and female identity. And then and now we have a new document coming out saying apparently just the opposite, but if you read the small print and interpret it a particular way, it can be interpreted orthodoxly. But my concern is that because it's ambiguous, because it doesn't spell out the conditions of repentance that's needed, it's going to cause a lot of problems. Right, for sure. And yes, last week when I was talking about this, I made the point that if you replace the word transgender with something like Buddhist or something like that or Muslim, it would be very, very confusing, right? Because transgenderism is not an ontological state. It's not like saying um, that someone of a certain age can get baptized. It's it's talking about something that is changeable. You can It's a set of beliefs. If you're transgender, it's a set of beliefs. And so it's a very yeah. it's a contradiction in terms to say something like a Buddhist who believes in the Catholic faith can get baptized. It's like, what? <laughs> that yeah. does that's a contradiction right. in terms that doesn't make much sense. And speaking of things being contradiction in terms, the new document, you mentioned a paradigm shift. And I was going through that document and was left very confused because it seemed like it's changing the definition of theology, which doesn't quite make sense. And as someone who teaches theology and runs a theological program, how does this affect you and what was your takeaway from this? Well, I, I felt the same way. I said, well, first of all, I said, gee, if I were an English teacher, I keep writing in the margins, explain what you mean. What does this mean? You know, mm-hmm. type of thing. It uses such kind of like vague language. You don't really know what's being said. Like, we don't want to be uh, interdisciplinary. We don't want to be transdisciplinary in a strong sense. It's distinct from multidisciplinary, understood as interdisciplinary in a weak sense. So it, it comes across as a lot of double talk, and it's not really clear. But what is clear 
It's calling for a paradigm shift to a, quote, courageous cultural revolution. Wow, to a fundamental contextual theology. That means theology fundamentally done in context of what the circumstances and what the conditions are of people. And then towards the end, it kind of spells out more what it means. Right. And it's necessary. And the one thing that kind of uh, disturbed me at the very beginning there was the phrase, I mean, these are very big buzzwords, paradigm shift, cultural revolution. Those words are huge. And it just immediately when I read paradigm shift, I was thinking of Mr. Odetta's book on Pope Francis, a paradigm shift. And I think cultural revolution immediately I'm thinking liberation, theology, uh, communism. And I'm thinking, what is going on? Yeah. Yeah. What does that mean? What are we saying about the theology of John Paul II? What are we saying about the theology of Benedict XVI? What are we saying about the theology of St. Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas? Were these all backward-looking people that were using abstract principles and not really in touch with real lives of people? No, it's ridiculous. You know, so the, the whole idea that with Pope Francis, we have a brave new world, we're finally kind of getting things right, it's just it's terrible. And sometimes people speak like that. You know, like like Archbishop Fernandez, you know, said that what we want to do is make the magisterium of, of Francis irreversible, you know, and and when he would talk about previous uh, statements of the doctrine of the faith, he'd say it doesn't have a smell of Francis about it. So this is a little crazy, I think, you know. Francis has to be in continuity with 2,000 years of Catholic tradition, and, you know, you can't have the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith in 2015 saying transgender people can't be godparents and saying different something today. You can't have the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith in 2021 saying you can't bless same-sex marriages because or relationships because they're sinful and having something else said today. It's, it's dangerously close to discontinuity with the Catholic tradition. Right. And it feels that way. Definitely. And I've talked to a number of just, you know, normal Catholics, just your average Catholic who was just trying to go to mass on Sunday and try to live a holy life and raise their kids. And I've heard people say, look, I'm just I'm I guess I will phrase it as Francis fatigue. They don't say that, but they like they basically say that I have Francis fatigue. I'm just going to ignore what's coming out of Rome. I'm going to go to church, going to do my thing, and I'm not going to care anymore. It's not my problem. This is all just ivory tower stuff. Um, what say you? Well, unfortunately, it's not ivory tower stuff, but I would tend to agree with the average Catholic. Look, we got to take responsibility ourselves for knowing what the truth is, for knowing what the faith is. We need to recover our confidence in sacred scripture. We need to know what the catechism teaches. And not kind of hang on every little thing that's coming out of Rome. We've got to get up every day, love God, love our neighbor, fulfill the vocation the Lord has given us. So I would say, yeah, don't be consumed by news coming out of Rome. Uh, keep your eyes on Jesus. You know what the truth of the faith is. You know the challenge that the Lord's given us to live as disciples, holy lives, and just get on with doing that. However, it's going to come to the average parish. It's going to come to the average person. So at some point, they've got to figure out what they think about some of these issues. And I guess radio programs like yours and books like mine are trying to help people do that. Amen. Amen. I, I think that's very, very important. And I, what you said there at the end about the fact that we have to basically, which is kind of crazy to think, right? We have to make up our mind about what we believe because, I mean, it should yeah. just be that we just say we can just trust our hierarchy and just believe what they tell us. Um, but unfortunately, we don't live in time of that luxury. 
And so it is, it is a great burden for people. What would you, what would you say? What would you, how would you recommend people go about this? It is unprecedented to see such public opposition, cardinals fighting cardinals, whole bishops' conference disagreeing with other bishops' conferences, the Africans saying that sex outside of marriage is witchcraft. (laughs) One African bishop came out of the synod and said that, and, you know, so we, we just got to kind of keep our eyes on the Lord. Just, I'm just going to repeat what I said. We're just going to keep our eyes on the Lord, really read sacred scripture every single day, pray every single day, uh, do our job, be a witness, love our families, and, and just just keep going and, and just trust the Lord's going to work this out. All this is happening under the province of God. There's nothing that he's not permitting to happen. He's permitting it to happen. He's got a plan for it. We don't know what it is, but... Hey, Jesus is the Lord. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can never be disappointed in trusting Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, it's what you were thinking there, what you were saying there out loud. I was thinking about the fiery prayer of St. Louis de Mumford. Very, very beautiful prayer. And what it reminds me of is St. Louis de Mumford. And I don't believe that we're in the latter times. I don't believe we're living in the end times at all. I, I do believe that we are probably going to come to the chastisement of the world in our times, but I don't believe we're even anywhere near the end times. However, I was thinking about the fiery prayer and how he talks about how St. Louis de Montfort prays for it, for these apostles of the latter times that will be greater than all the saints who came before. Why? Because the times that they live in will be so bad and we're, Sin abounds, grace abounds evermore. And it made me think that what a grace it is to be alive in our times where we have an opportunity to not just be saints, but to be great saints, to merit so much for the kingdom of heaven. What say you? Hey, I hope so. I, I, I hope I can rise up and be what the Lord wants me to be today. I'm trying to do it. You're trying to do it. I'm sure your listeners are trying to do it. But yeah, I think we're, we're sin abounds, grace abounds some more. So we should expect extra grace in our lives. We should expect a deeper call to holiness, a deeper call to courage. We should begin to more and more lose our fear of what people think and really only fear God. Now, we have about two minutes left in our conversation. And if people are saying, okay, uh, I understand what you're saying, Dr. Martin. I, I, I understand the crisis. I understand that I need to know the faith. Um, but who do I trust? Because it seems like the I'm, I read the catechism and it changes every other month. I'm trying to read the doctors out of Rome and are confusing. So what do I read? What do I stick to? What's what do I trust? Well, they're trying to change the catechism, but the only thing they've changed and that started with John Paul II was the teaching on capital punishment. So right now, the catechism is totally reliable. If they do succeed in changing it, we're going to have to reconsider that. But right now, the catechism is totally reliable. Uh, we need to trust people that we know are speaking the truth, and this is where the sense of the faithful come in. Archbishop Aquila is speaking the truth. Archbishop uh, Chaput is speaking the truth. Cardinal Mueller is speaking the truth. EWTN is speaking the truth. National Catholic Register is speaking the truth. Uh, Guadalupe Radio is speaking the truth. So there's a whole network of people that we know are speaking the truth. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Martin. Uh, God bless you. And what? where can people stay in touch with you or follow what you're doing? Yeah, then go to RenewalMinistries.net and sign up for our free newsletter or check out our YouTube channel. I, I do a new video uh, every other week. 
and uh, Peter Herbeck does one too. You just go to uh, YouTube, Ralph Martin, YouTube, Regional Ministries, whatever. So, yeah. Well, Adrian, thank you for what you and Guadalupe Radio are doing. It's fabulous. It's really important. Thank you very much, Dr. Martin. God bless you. God love you, and have a blessed day. You too. And we, one other thing before we run out of time here is I do want to recommend, I, like I said, I only listened to the first hour of the conversation, but Dr. Martin's interview with Matt Frad on Pints with Aquinas, I thought was very good. Well, we touched on a number of things he touched on there, but his, this one was two hours long. It's a two hour long conversation. So if you want to get more of that conversation, check out Pints with Aquinas and their conversation there. Uh, coming up in just one moment, the priest is not his own. Fulton Sheen on how to be the father God has called you to be. Coming up next. I'm in a good place in my life. And I'm energized by new adventures. I've got friends to laugh with. And a good relationship. But even though I'm kind of comfortable i sometimes wonder is there something more could god in church be what you're looking for come and see at catholicscomehome.com have you heard about life coaching hi this is coach felicity with your stand tall today coaching minute coaching is one of the things jesus did with his disciples whenever they were stuck overwhelmed or even struggling a bit Jesus asked questions that brought clarity and hope. He then used ongoing conversations that helps them to navigate the path and completely change their lives. Just like the disciples, we too can find ourselves feeling stuck, overwhelmed, and struggling a bit. Maybe you need help in your marriage or with a parenting issue, you're navigating a loss, you want to improve your health, or advance your career. At StandTallToday.com, our experienced coaches will help you to take another look at life, renew your hope, Get past those challenges and step into living abundantly. You can find out more about coaching and schedule a free introductory call by visiting us at StandTallToday.com. Listen, life is too short to stay stuck. Contact us at StandTallToday.com. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to study a section of the catechism. Wouldn't it be great if everyone read the Catechism of the Catholic Church? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. Went through a divorce and um, ended up being a single parent. And it was an easy excuse. I, I took the easy out and just didn't go to Mass. When you come home to the, to the church, you're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. I have a peace when I walk through the doors of the Catholic Church, like that's where I belong. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Praise be to God. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Now and forevermore. You know, just side note, it made me think of my sister went to Incarnate Word Academy here in Houston. And 
their motto, which is this, a part of this is sad and kind of bad, but yeah. Anyway, let me explain this. So the sisters, which so would say, and it was kind of like the school motto, which makes sense. They would say, praise be the incarnate word. And then they would respond now and forevermore. And the good thing about that is what a beautiful ejaculation, right? Praise be the incarnate word now and forevermore. It would be a beautiful thing to say. But the bad thing was, was it became a school thing. Oh. Because they were Incarnate Word Academy. It became like a school calling cry rather than like they didn't understand. Over time, it lost its meaning. It lost its significance. Mm. And so people were saying it. And I made this point and this came to mind recently because I was talking to a Incarnate Word graduate, not my sister, someone else. And I said, praise be the Incarnate Word. And they said nothing. And I was like, you know, like the response, like now and forevermore, like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's from school. Yeah, from school. And I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, from school. But it's uh, it's it's an ejaculation. Like you're praying to the to the incarnate word, like Christ. And yeah. they're like, oh, is that what that is? And they had no idea. Dang. And I was like, bro, what? Oh, my goodness. And that was, it was really disappointing. It was really sad. So, I mean, for schools that do things like that, it's good to do those things. I'm not saying don't do those things. Instead, I'm saying you got to explain what you're, what, why you're doing it to the kids mm-hmm. so that they know. Like if you go to St. Thomas school and you say St. Thomas Aquinas and they respond, pray for us, you got to explain who St. Thomas is. Like why is he the patron of your school and all this other stuff? Like you can't just like say these things. You got to explain them. And I, that was just, Side note, I don't know why that popped in my head. Why did that pop in my head? I don't know. Maybe because in the beginning of the show, we talked about how Americans just kind of use certain language. Hmm. You know, like specifically like uh, when they yell out in pain, they'll blaspheme against our Lord. They'll use mm. his holy name, bring it down. It's because for them, it doesn't really, they don't understand. They they, they have a disconnection from the the, the meaning of, of his name, right? Yeah. So they just... I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe that. You think so? I'm, it's possible. I'm going to go with it. We'll, we'll roll with that. It's almost like there's a lot of different things. Like, I don't know, like even being a father. Yeah. You know, it's lost a little bit of its meaning. That's so true. That's so true. And to talk to us about fatherhood is Alan Smith with Bishop Sheen today. Good morning to you, Alan. Uh, good morning, Adrian. Good morning, Rudy. Uh, great to hear your conversation this morning. I love uh, Ralph Martin. Uh, he is a breath of fresh air. Um, and, you know, again, I think earlier you talked about uh, the uh, um, embroiling, <laughs> the battle between Candace Owen and uh, Ben Shapiro. Uh, someone's crying victimhood here. And so, um, you know, who's the victim in that story? Uh, and I think it just segues nicely <laughs> into what we want to talk about a bit. Uh, you know, being a father is sometimes uh, you become a victim. And um, I think Fulton Sheen, uh, you know, speaks well about uh, the victimhood of a priest and uh, I think the victim of many fathers. And so, uh, again, I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about the wisdom of Sheen and how it applies uh, to the world today. Uh, I think St. Thomas Aquinas, I think this is what Fulton Sheen did in his years of university. He was studying the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas and how he could apply those writings to, t- to today's world, and he does that beautifully in the book, The Priest is Not His Own. Amen, amen. And I and I mentioned this to you last week because this is very interesting to me in your book 
the priest and uh, the priest not his own on page 31 it talks about vocation and victimhood and obviously he's most primarily talking about the seminarian that he's addressing but i love the way you apply this to fathers so tell me about this how is a father a vocation to victimhood well you know, Fulton Sheen, um, you know, was addressing seminarians and he would be addressing fathers today. And I think this is what I've tried to do, uh, with this relaunch of the book, The Priest is Not His Own. I want to have fathers look at it as a manual, a manual how to be a good husband, a good provider, a good father, a good teacher of the faith. But the seminarians, uh, again, go into the seminary to be formed. They want to learn theology. They want to learn uh, the sacramental life. And yet they always would ask them, you know, you want to become good priest, but do you want to become a good victim? And, and I think a lot of times you go, victim, what's that all about? Yet it's all about imitating our Lord. And what was our Lord? He was both priest and victim. We have to start developing this holy habit of sacrifice, laying down our life. You know, a lot of us want to be a husband. We want to be married, but we never, we never really say, I want to be a victim. I want to practice laying down my life. And I think that's where we have to start this conversation. Do you want to embark down that road of being a victim? Uh, because they're inseparable. The priesthood has, you know, a priestly side, but a victimhood side. And the same with being a father, a husband. You have this title of husband and father, but you also have a role to play, and that is a victimhood of laying down your life for the mission. And I think it's important that we, uh, you know, have a sobering conversation that this involves a victimhood. And I think that's why he asked the seminarians, did you ever think that you're studying to become a victim. And of course, they uh, kind of had this look on their face, what? But still, I think that you can see where I'm going there. Yeah, definitely, Alan. You know, especially, you know, that's that's really important for a seminarian or somebody considering this vocation, a very serious uh, calling uh, to be a priest. But, you know, to, to even bring this to to fathers, like people who are discerning marriage, I, like I wish I've had that analogy when I was talking to, you know, my friends who were considering going into the vocation of marriage, because a lot of times for guys, it's like, oh, I love this woman. You know, we're going to, we're just going to start our life together. And I, I think that um, <laughs> most people don't have this idea that there's actually going to be a lot of sacrifice on both, uh, both people, but especially on, on the, on the men. You're going to have to to endure a lot of sacrifice. Are you ready for that? Yeah, so true. And and I think sometimes, you know, I, I'm very critical of marriage prep, uh, critical in the sense that they miss so much. Um, I was blessed many years ago to have great formators, especially when it came to marriage preparation. And they sat down with the couples and said, do you realize that you're building something? And that you're coming together as a man and a woman, and you're inviting God into the picture. You're going to build and create something beautiful with the help of God. Uh, now, use the model of the Holy Family. Joseph, St. Joseph, and the Blessed Virgin Mary. And of course, their child, Jesus. But yet, that's the holy example for you. But there's going to be suffering. 
Look at the Holy Family. They suffered, but they built something beautiful because, again, it, they incorporated God into the mission. And it is a mission to bring children into the world, raise those children, and hopefully get those children to heaven. Uh, what a beautiful mission to, to populate heaven. Um, you never think of that when you go to a marriage prep preparation course to say, hi, young couples, you're going to populate heaven. What do you think of that? And, and men, you're going to be the priest of your family. You're going to lead in prayer and you're going to counsel. You're going to do so many things that you would think only priests do. But no, you are the priest of your domestic church. Um, what do you think of that, guys? <laughs> what do you think of that, ladies? And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, I never thought of it in that spiritual way. And I think this is what uh, Fulton Sheen is doing. He's saying, let's talk about that. Let's talk about this mission that's so vital to the saving of society. Yes, uh, definitely, Alan. And speaking of society, the word victimhood today has a very negative connotation. Connotation. It's very much the idea that people say victim mentality, and they mean this in a negative way. Oh, you just keep wanting to present yourself as a victim to score diversity and inclusion points, and this idea. And growing up, my because you know, being where my family were Mexican, and then in terms of our our family lineage, and I have darker skin, and so my dad was always tell us, "Don't have victim mentality." He said, "I don't want you to think that you are a victim." And I don't want you to think that uh, you can't do something because of your skin color. Like, it's just ridiculous. Don't don't believe those people when they tell you those things. And that's kind of the understanding of victimhood. But this is not what we mean when we say victimhood. What do we mean when we say that someone should be a victim or a father should be a victim? Well, it's this idea of offering yourself, um, being broken. I mean, victims are usually... Um, scourged beat um it could be it could be emotional it could be spiritual it could be physical but there's that beating or that breaking um when we think about our blessed lord he was broken um he was whipped he was scourged but he was broken so that his blood could spill out to redeem us um so it's important to remember that being a victim sometimes has a mission attached to it but he has to be broken and again, when we think of those lines in Scripture, uh, where do they recognize the Lord? When the bread was broken, the victim was exposed. Mm. Um, again, that beautiful connection. So there has to be this beating, um, this death, this dying to give life. And I think that's sometimes hard for us to understand that you have to die to receive life. You have to break something to receive life. And I think that's where it's a beauty. It's a beautiful thing of victimhood when you think of the beauty of being broken and how our Lord broke himself. We think of, uh, of course, Magdalene breaking the vessel with the uh, beautiful smelling, uh, you know, um, perfume uh, that had to be broken to have the great fragrance come out into the air. So now, again, it kind of ties in beautifully that as fathers, we have to break ourselves. We have to uh, be willing to uh, bleed almost in a way uh, for our families. Um, and again, I'm not trying to be graphic. It's not that way. But you understand in, in a symbolic way the importance of laying down your life and being victim. So there's a beauty in being a victim when it has a holy purpose. Amen. Amen. I think it's um, almost, it might be to modern sensibilities, a good way to put it is to say that one should be 
the sacrifice and the one sacrificing, right? Priest and victim. You're sacrificing, but you're also the one sacrificed. Is that kind of a good understanding, Alan? Yeah, that is. That is. And I think that's where, when we look at the priest, when they go uh, to the altar and offer the Mass, um, the priest is joining in with the Lord. Uh, he's pointing to us to this beautiful sacrifice of our Lord laying down his life for his friends. But unless we eat his flesh and drink his blood, we shall not have life within us. So we have to go through that process of watching him be broken again and again and again. And we have to pick up our cross daily and offer up our lives again and again and again to the service of our family and the service of our community. Amen. And I noticed in the book, it talked about uh, vocations, obviously, to the priesthood. And it's talking about how the seminarians often will say that the most inspiring priests for them, the ones who encourage them the most to want to pursue the priesthood, were missionary priesthood, were missionary priests. And why do you think that is? It's because they're sacrificial, no? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they lay down their lives. They're heroic. Um, they're, you know, when the gospel speaks of going out and preaching to all nations, that means everywhere. Go everywhere into those, uh, far corners of the earth. And, uh, we all like adventure. I think, especially young men, we want adventure, but the youth want adventure. They want something to live for. And I think the missionaries actually exemplify that in a beautiful way. Amen. Amen. And so I will conclude with just reading this little part about here. He says, no priest begets a vocation or makes a convert or sanctifies a soul except under the shadow of the cross. And I think that's the thing that we should take away from this is that we should always see things through the eyes of Christ and Christ crucified. And that's why St. Paul said he preaches Christ and Christ crucified. So too should we, but God bless you, Alan. God love you. And we'll see you uh, next week to pick up more on the priest is not his own. Uh, check out Bishop Sheen today. God love you. I love you too. Bishop Sheen today.com Bishop Sheen today.com. Check it out. Get this book, The Priest is Not His Own. I love it. I've read it already once. I'm going through it again right now. But call now for the game show, 877-757-9424, 877-757-9424. That's number one last time, 877-757-9424. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Have you ever replaced pronouns in the Bible such as who, whom, whosoever, ye, you, etc., and replaced those words with your name and therefore you personalize the Bible to yourself? Do you do that? Is that a safe way to read the Bible? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, Bible complexity. Mechanics study motors. Architects study design. Linguists study syntax. But for the most part, Christians don't study the how-tos of safe biblical interpretation called Called hermeneutics. Secondly, Aquinas. In the Summa, we see the caution. Aquinas says of the Bible, quote, the manner of its speech transcends every science because in one and the same sentence, while it describes a fact, it reveals a mystery and thirdly, a tough comeback. I know it seems plausible to simply say the Bible is a love letter straight from God to humanity, but wait a minute. A sentence or a paragraph in a love letter has context. Yes, with great caution, we can personalize some context, but remember, when you're at the central figure in the Bible, God isn't, and that's just wrong. All my life, I was searching for something that seemed to be just one step away. Perfect soulmate, the ideal job, that big adventure. And just when I thought I found what I was missing, 
I realized that I was never really fulfilled. Then I discovered what I was searching for was really faith in God and belonging to a church. You can find what you've been searching for too. Come and see at CatholicsComeHome.com. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. That's number to call to be part of our game show, Fear and Trembling, where we give out prizes and you could be a winner. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial that number, 877 877- Seven five seven nine four two four, and you dial that number, and you have a chance to be the winner. Eight seven 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 five seven nine four two four. Now, we are going to play the Fear and Trembling game show. If you're not familiar with it, then let me tell you how it works. It's very simple. I have three Catholic trivia questions here. And the trick is, I'm not going to ask you the questions. No, instead, I'm going to ask Rudy the questions. He's going to give me an answer. It's your job to tell me whether or not he is right or whether or not he is wrong. And every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Rudy, what could they win? Praise be to God. This week, you can win a restored vintage little tiny prayer book. A little tiny prayer book that you can put in your pocket and take with you everywhere. Think about how... Uh, this little book will affect your uh, your your examinations of conscience right before uh, uh, receiving the the sacrament of, of penance of uh, reconciliation. Uh, think of it, how it's going to improve your spiritual life when you get out of the sacrament of reconciliation and you can pray in thanksgiving for having received that mercy. Just think about all the, the possibilities here. You're going to be able to win this. A restored prayer book because our sponsor this week was Magnificat Handmade. Now it's kind of a punny, cunning, punny name here. Uh, Magnificat Handmade seeks to restore all things in Christ and they're giving away this pocket prayer book to edify your spiritual life. Now Magnificat Handmade is a workshop dedicated to Our Lady of Sorrows and specializes in restoring all kinds of liturgical items, especially books. And in case you didn't catch that pun, let me explain it to you. <laughs> <laughs> when you have to explain a pun. Let me explain this pun to you. You're like, the handmaid. They, they specialize in handmade things. And Our Lady is the handmaid of the Lord. Get it? Oh! Uh, 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 uh. Thank you so much, Magnifica. <laughs> I get it. Magnifica. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Oh. Amen. Amen. What a novel idea. Huh? What a great idea. Whoever came up with that name <laughs> must be a marketing genius uh, to the point that they have to uh, explain it to people. But praise uh, be to God. Thank you very much, Magnificat, a handmade. We love to hear it. Praise be to God. Uh, joining us right now is Ruby. Good morning to you, Ruby. Good morning. Hey, Ruby. Where are you calling in from? Kerrville, Texas. Kerrville, Texas. Praise be to God. How do you like it there in Kerrville, Texas, the ginormous city of like um, like 20,000 people? It's loud. We love to hear it. Where are, you, where are you off to this morning? Are you heading to work, Ruby? No, school. Oh, you're going to school. Okay, <laughs> what, what grade are you in? Fourth. 
fourth. Fourth grade. Oh my goodness. Um, I remember those what, days. What's your favorite subject in fourth grade? Um, probably math or science. Math or science. You Genius. Know, whenever people ask me my favorite subject, I don't think I've ever said math or science. Ever. I did those, those subjects just were not not my cup of tea. I was uh, definitely a um, literature, <laughs> history. Um, actually, I was going to say the arts, but no, I was actually not good at the arts. I was actually better at math and science than I was the arts. Uh, so actually, I take that back. Uh, <laughs> but way to go, Ruby. You're clearly a very bright young lady, and I'm guessing... You're going to do great on these questions here because you sound like you are also a mathematician, a scientist, and a theologian. Is that right? Are you? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ruby. Are you ready to play? And she's humble, too. Yes. All right, Ruby. Let's jump into it. Question number one for you, Rudy. All right. This question. It's very important you get this one right, Rudy. Because, it's a math uh, question. It is a question whether or not you are a heretic or not is the question. <laughs> what? So the question is, how many natures does Jesus have? Well, if you were listening to our show yesterday, we did mm. talk about it. Our saint was a very strong proponent for this. And he said that our Lord had two natures. The nature of God and the nature of man. So you're going with two. I'm going to go with two. You're going to go with two. All right, Ruby. 15 seconds on the clock. The question is, is Rudy a heretic? I mean, sorry, that's not the question. <laughs> that's The question, Ruby, is how many natures does our Lord Jesus Christ have? Rudy says two. He has the divine nature and he has the human nature. Uh, what say you, Ruby, from Kerrville, Texas? Yes. Yes, she says. All right, let's see. Sir, oh, there wow. we go. Way to go, Ruby. Praise be to God. Nailing it. Clearly, Ruby is, in fact, a theologian. I think, Ruby, many people would have got that one wrong, but you didn't. You knew that Christ has two natures, both human and divine. So way to go, Ruby. How do you feel so far? Good, good. I'm glad to hear it. So, are you ready for question number two? Yes. All right. Let's jump into it. Rudy, question number two for you. What is the term for a religious letter that's addressed from a superior to a subordinate? Like that email I sent you the day. Oh, wait. Sorry. <laughs> How did you know I was going to say that? Actually, don't ask me what the Latin words are. Because I can't speak Latin. Okay. But the translation to English is a gentle reminder. Oh. That's why when you get emails, it always says, hey, gentle reminder, I uh, just wanted to follow up with you about X, Y, or Z. What's the status on that? Uh, yeah. That's, I've, I may or may not have received that letter um, <laughs> once or twice um, in the last 30 minutes. So, anyway, Ruby from Kerrville, Texas, 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, what is the term for a religious letter that's addressed from a superior to a subordinate? Rudy says it's a... A gentle reminder. A gentle reminder. A follow-up. A follow-up, one might say. Uh, What say you, Ruby? No. 
You know? All right, let's see. Survey says... That is correct, Ruby. It is. He is trying to trick you there. The correct answer is what, Rudy? The correct answer is an epistle. An epistle. An epistle. So with a T. You never want to get an epistle because it's like, oh boy, here we go again. What did we do this time? Yeah, you think about the the epistles from Paul. And he's like, you guys, what are you doing? I just left. I was with you like a day ago, and you're already being crazy. Um, yeah, I feel that. I feel that, Paul. He's talking about me. I am the problem. All right, Ruby, how do you feel? You did a great job. Did you know it was a pistol? No. No. See, I, just, I just guessed. You just guessed. Uh, <laughs> praise be to God. She's Look how honest she is, too. She's humble. Honest, a theologian. I'm very impressed with Ruby. All right, Me Ruby, too. are you ready for the last question here? Yes. All right. I, for one, really like this question, so I hope you do too. Here's the question. The question, Rudy. Mm-hmm. What is the term? We're doing another term question. Mm-hmm. The question is, what is the term for a way of life founded in Egypt and Syria by Christians fleeing from pagan society and seeking solitude in a life of prayer. Well, something I adhere to myself. Mm. I uh, I love this movement. It's called the Cottage Core Movement. The Cottage Core Movement. So you adopt some of the things that the Egyptians and the uh, you know and the the Syrians did. You, you have adopt, to walk like an Egyptian. You got to walk like them. You got to wear the same sort of fabrics. Mm. You return to the land. The Cottage Core Movement is one hundred percent the greatest thing that you could do at this moment. Okay, the Cottage Core Movement is what you're going with, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you say that part of that is. You got to walk like an Egyptian. Talk like an Egyptian. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just All, kidding. Okay. All right. Let's see, Ruby. 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, what is a term for a way of life founded in Egypt and Syria by Christians fleeing from pagan society and seeking solitude in a life of prayer? Rudy says it is the cottage core Movement. What say you, Ruby, from Kerrville, Texas? No. No? All right, let's see. Survey says... Way to go, Ruby! (laughs) Amazing. You did great. Three for three, 100% success rate. The correct answer is monasticism monasticism is the correct answer but way to go ruby how do you feel really good very good so now you can go to school today and let everybody know you know what an epistle is you know what monasticism is and you know how many natures that jesus christ has so congratulations you are rocking it ruby um now Ruby, before we say goodbye, we got to put you on hold and make sure that we get your your parents' contact information so we can send you the prize should your name be drawn out. But God bless you. God love you. And have a great day at school. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Stay on hold. Don't hang up. And have a blessed day. We'll be praying for you. Please pray for us. And that's going to do it for our radio show today. Praise be to God. It's so good to be on with you. And... Check us out on our website. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT because you can go there and sign up for our email list. 
All you got to do is go to our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT and get on our email list. And we would love to connect with you so we can send you an email every Friday on a new topic that's relevant. Last week, we talked about Veterans Day week before All Saints Day and much, much more. So uh, stick with us and join our email list, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. But if not, well, we love you anyway. And we'll talk to you tomorrow at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the Guadalupe Radio Network and Catholic Spirit Radio. God bless you. God love you. And no matter what anybody says today, remember, Viva Crisure, Christ is King. God bless you. God love you. And I'll see you very soon. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. ...of St. Gertrude. This morning's Mass is being offered for all of our listeners on Guadalupe Radio Network, our online viewers, and for those here present. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. O my soul, praise Him, for He is thy health and salvation. Join the great throng, psaltery organ and song. Sounding in glad adoration. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy.
let us pray. O God, who prepared a delightful dwelling for yourself in the heart of the Virgin St. Gertrude, graciously bring light through her intercession to the darkness of our hearts, that we may joyfully experience you present and at work within us. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the Book of Wisdom. In wisdom is a spirit, intelligent, holy, unique, manifold, subtle, agile, clear, unstained, certain, not baneful, loving the good, keen, unhampered, beneficent, kindly, firm, secure, tranquil, all-powerful, all-seeing, and pervading all spirits, though they be intelligent, pure, and very subtle. For wisdom is mobile beyond all motion, and she penetrates and pervades all things by reason of her purity. For she is an aura of the might of God and a pure effusion of the glory of the Almighty. Therefore, not that is solid enters into her. For she is the refulgence of eternal light, the spotless mirror of the power of God, the image of his goodness. And she who is one can do all things and renews everything while herself perdoing. And passing into holy souls from age to age, she produces friends of God and prophets. For there is not God loves, be it not one who dwells with wisdom. For she is fairer than the sun and surpasses every consolation of the stars. Compared to light, she takes precedence. For that, indeed, night supplants, but wickedness prevails not over wisdom. Indeed, she reaches from end to end mightily and governs all things well. The Word of the Lord. Your Word is forever, O Lord. Your Your Word word is is forever, forever, O Lord. Lord. Your Word, O Lord, endures forever. It is firm as the heavens. Your word is forever, O Lord. Through all generations your truth endures. You have established the earth, and it stands firm. Your word is forever, O Lord. According to your ordinances, they still stand firm. All things serve you. Your word is forever, O Lord. The revelation of your words sheds light, giving understanding to the simple. Your Your word word is forever, O Lord. Let your countenance shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Your Your word word is forever, O Lord. Let my soul live to praise you and may your ordinances help me. Your Your word word is forever, O Lord. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. I am the vine, you are the branches, says the Lord. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Alleluia, alleluia, 
Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus said in reply, The coming of the kingdom of God cannot be observed, and no one will announce, Look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is among you. Then he said to his disciples, The days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. There will be those who will say to you, Look, there he is, or look, here he is. Do not go off, do not run in pursuit. For just as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer greatly and be rejected by this generation. The Gospel of the Lord. Pope Benedict XVI pointed out that the phrase Kingdom of God oftentimes is a little bit misinterpreted by people. A lot of times we think of the Kingdom of God as being a noun or a place. and We think about trying to build up the Kingdom of God on this earth, of trying to make a perfect place here in this world where God's glory can shine in all of its fullness. And this, of course, is a goal which, while noble, ultimately will not be possible because of the eight or nine billion human beings who live in this world who have to use their freedom every single day to choose good and reject evil. There's always bound to be problems in this world. But he points out is the original text, both the Hebrew word Malkut and the Greek word Basileia, it isn't really a noun, but it's an action word which refers to God's active dominion, lordship, and kingship operating in our life. In other words, it is God's wisdom, which we heard about in the first reading, which is guiding us and leading us toward our salvation. That for those who are open to it, God's providential care, his kingly rule is available to us, it is present in our life, and in it, he is leading us toward our salvation. When Jesus says, the coming of the kingdom of God cannot be observed, and he says, the kingdom of God is among you, what he's really highlighting in a way is to say, Jesus is God himself, and in Jesus Christ, God acted in human history in a way which had never before been seen. And in the incarnation, in Jesus' mission to go to the cross to offer himself as a sacrifice in order to save us and redeem us, now we can see in a clear way how God is acting to lead us toward our salvation. However, this action, we can say in a way, is hidden in plain sight. Jesus, on the one hand, would look like any other Roman or any other victim of Roman persecution, executed on a cross, which there were thousands and thousands at the time. And so just a plain sight, it would appear, okay, this is nothing special here, just another execution. But for those in faith who know who Jesus is, they know he isn't merely a passive victim, but rather Jesus willingly goes and offers himself up for salvation. It's God acting in human history. It is the greatest act ever to bring about the gift of salvation. 
But to plain sight, it appears as something rather ordinary. The kingdom of God is among us in Jesus, but only with the eyes of faith are we able to see God actively working in our lives and moving us toward our salvation. I suppose that explains in a way why for some people it is difficult to see God's hand because from a closed perspective we just see human events that are happening around us. But for those who are willing to look through the eyes of faith and who believe that the kingdom of God continues to be present among us, namely that God's active lordship and sovereignty and dominion is at work in our lives, well, we can see his presence everywhere. And we can see his work everywhere, that he is leading us toward our salvation and that he is leading us in our redemption. And so, my brothers and sisters, as we go forward today, let us ask God for the grace that we would always see through the eyes of faith, that we would always trust that our Heavenly Father in his wisdom is at work in our life to lead us toward our salvation. And let us trust that he can work through all things and all of our experience in order to accomplish this goal. Amen. Trusting in our Father's love and mercy, let us bring our petitions before him. We pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, and for all bishops for their physical and spiritual needs. We pray to the Lord. We pray for government leaders that they would be guided by the wisdom and counsel of the Holy Spirit in enacting laws which would be just and which would safeguard the dignity of human life at every phase. We pray to the Lord. We pray for the sick and the suffering, that they would be given consolation in their faith and experience the healing touch of Jesus Christ. We pray to the Lord. We pray for our family, friends, benefactors, for those who have asked for our prayers, for those listening on Guadalupe Radio Network and joining us online, and for all those enrolled in the Salt Mass Association. We pray to the Lord. We pray for an increase in the theological virtue of faith in our lives, that we would see our Father's loving hand and loving wisdom in our life at all times, leading us toward salvation. We pray to the Lord. For an increase in vocations to the sacred priesthood and religious life, we pray to the Lord. For peace in the world and for an end to violence, we pray to the Lord. For those intentions that we hold in our heart, we pray to the Lord. Merciful Father, we thank you for hearing our petitions and granting our prayers through Christ our Lord. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you. Fruit of the earth and work of human hands, it will become for us the bread of life. Blessed 
Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you. Fruit of the vine and work of human hands, it will become our spiritual drink. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. As we proclaim your wonders, O Lord, in the Virgin, Blessed Gertrude, we humbly implore your majesty that as her merits are pleasing to you, so too our dutiful service may find favor in your sight, through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, for in the saints who consecrated themselves to Christ for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, it is right to celebrate the wonders of your providence by which you call human nature back to its original holiness and bring it to experience on this earth the gifts you promise in the new world to come. And so with all the angels and saints we praise you as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaho, Plenisun celi et terra, gloria tua, osana in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine domini, osana in excelsis. To you, therefore, most merciful Father, we make humble prayer and petition through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, that you accept and bless these gifts, these offerings, these holy and unblemished sacrifices, which we offer you firstly for your holy Catholic Church. Be pleased to grant her peace, to guard, unite, and govern her throughout the whole world, together with your servant Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all those who, holding to the truth, hand on the Catholic and apostolic faith. Remember, Lord, your servants and all gathered here whose faith and devotion are known to you. For them we offer you this sacrifice of praise, or they offer it for themselves and all who are dear to them, for the redemption of their souls in hope of health and well-being, and paying their homage to you, the eternal God, living and true. In communion with those whose memory we venerate, especially the glorious ever-Virgin Mary, Mother of our God and Lord Jesus Christ, and blessed Joseph, her spouse, your blessed apostles and martyrs, Peter and Paul, Andrew, James, John, Thomas, James, Philip, 
Bartholomew, Matthew, Simon, and Jude, Linus, Cletus, Clement, Sixtus, Cornelius, Cyprian, Lawrence, Chrysogonus, John and Paul, Cosmas and Damian, and all your saints. We ask that through their merits and prayers in all things we may be defended by your protecting help. Therefore, Lord, we pray, graciously accept this oblation of our service, that of your whole family. Order our days in your peace and command that we be delivered from eternal damnation and counted among the flock of those you have chosen. Be pleased, O God, we pray, to bless, acknowledge, and approve this offering in every respect. Make it spiritual and acceptable, so that it may become for us the body and blood of your most beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. On the day before he was to suffer, he took bread in his holy and venerable hands, and with eyes raised to heaven to you, O God, his Almighty Father, giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took this precious chalice in his holy and venerable hands, and once more giving you thanks, he said the blessing, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it. For this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, save us, Savior of the world. For by your cross and resurrection you have set us free. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the blessed Passion, the resurrection from the dead, and the glorious ascension into heaven of Christ, your Son, our Lord, we, your servants and your holy people, offer to your glorious majesty from the gifts that you have given us, this pure victim, this holy victim, this spotless victim, the holy bread of eternal life and the chalice of everlasting salvation. Be pleased to look upon these offerings with a serene and kindly countenance and to accept them as once you were pleased to accept the gifts of your servant Abel the just, the sacrifice of Abraham our father in faith, and the offering of your high priest Melchizedek, a holy sacrifice, a spotless victim. In humble prayer we ask you, Almighty God, Command that these gifts be borne by the hands of your holy angel to your altar on high, in the sight of your divine majesty, so that all of us who through this participation at the altar receive the most holy body and blood of your Son may be filled with every grace and heavenly blessing. Remember also, Lord, your servants who have gone before us with the sign of faith and rest in the sleep of peace. Grant them, O Lord, we pray, in all who sleep in Christ, a place of refreshment, light, and peace. To us also, your servants, who, though sinners, hope in your abundant mercies, graciously grant some share in fellowship with your holy apostles and martyrs, with John the Baptist, Stephen, Matthias, Barnabas, and all your saints. Admit us, we beseech you, into their company, not weighing our merits, but granting us your pardon through Christ our Lord, through whom you continue to make all these good things, O Lord. You sanctify them, fill them with life, bless them, and bestow them upon us.
through him and with him and in him. O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Precepti salutaribus moniti, et divina institutione formati, audemus dicere, Pater noster, qui es in celis, sanctifice tuhur nomen tuhum, adveniat regnum tuhum, fiat voluntas tua, sicud in celo et in terra, panem nostrum coditianum, da nobis hodie, et imite nobis de vita nostra, sicud et nos dimitimus, debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. For those unable to receive communion and those joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio, let us pray together the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen.
Communion Antiphon. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Come out to meet Christ the Lord. Let us pray. May the holy reception of the body and blood of your only begotten Son, O Lord, turn us away from the cares of this fleeting world, so that following the example of blessed Gertrude, we may grow in sincere love for you on earth and rejoice to behold you for eternity in heaven through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and announce the Gospel of the Lord. Salve Regina, Mater Misericordiae, Vita Dulcedo, Et Spes Nostra Salve. A te clamamos, Exules Filii Eve. A te suspiramos, gementes et flentes, in hac lacrimarum vale. Ea ergo. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Celebrating 2,000 years of truth, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul.